Hey podcast, uh, the Gary V Challenge. Hashtag Gary V Challenge. That's right, I put out the huge deck. How many pages was that, 270? The, the, the deck I put out on my birthday uh, is out there now and now I'm scared. Why am I scared? Because people love consuming information but they hate doing the things in the information. So we're doing the Gary V Challenge. Hashtag Gary V Challenge. What does that mean? I am now challenging you, my audience, to make content at scale. Use the hashtag Gary V Challenge in Facebook, in Instagram, in Twitter, in LinkedIn so that we can find your stuff and I'm gonna pick some winners in January of the people that have gone out and actually made, making, contextually making, making at scale. Please go do that, go check it out. Looking forward to it, please enter. Doing always is better than reading. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What's up everyone and welcome back for another episode. Today, Gary speaks at a keynote in Minnesota for the Rocker Esports team. He talks about his outlook and how he sees the sport progressing. So make sure to hit him up with any questions or comments that you have, and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, um, so to continue the conversation, having the luxury of getting to meet half the room and having a little bit of a list ahead of time, very honestly, I, I'll, I'll rant here a little bit to kind of spark up the juices to get to the questions, but I'd love to go very specific. Obviously, we can talk in the macro. I think the team's done a great job in setting up. When you kind of look at some of that data, you know, it's funny, I look at all those things and I, and I, I see it from a lot of different lenses. I always think about what are the people in this room lo- lo- gonna find out today or see a little bit differently? It, you know, for example, the average age of 26, I think, speaks to a lot of people realizing, wait a minute, it's older than I thought. You know, that kind of stuff. Similar to like what fascinates me about TikTok right now, the consumption of people in their mid-20s to 40s is far greater than the world has caught up to. A lot of what I was just talking about of what's happening now versus what's perceived to be happening now. I think, you know, to, to continue the conversation, um, one of the, uh, back to my rationale that I would assume is gonna be your rationale, whether you're a deodorant or a beef jerky or an entrepreneur or a service provider. I, in the macro of writing some big checks to be part of this ownership, am looking for underpriced attention. Like I got to speak to some of you, I think if you're, whether you're an entrepreneur that's a production company for the events or building software for it, or are a brand trying to find relevance to your target audience, I think by far the most interesting thing about all of us being in this room is this reminds me of social media 2006. It already happened. MySpace was already enormous. Facebook was on its way. Like Twitter was out there, but they didn't know it happened. And I think, A, kudos for this small group being here. I mean, this is a busy time of year. So you're here, it, it's, this is valuable time. And so even the curiosity of what's happening here, I think there's dividends if you don't misplay your dollars. Similar to early Facebook or other things that I've seen through the last decade, just because esports is this right doesn't mean you as an entrepreneur or executive are gonna spend your time and energy properly. So I think one of the things that a lot of people should spend a lot of time on here, the most important thing during times like this, if you're trying to extract value out of an opportunity, is the most cliche world word that gets thrown around, which is authenticity. The ease, it is very easy to waste a ton of money in esports. 
you slap a logo on something, it's completely not authentic, and every 15 to 26 to 42 year old knows you're there just for that transactional aspect. So I think something that to just throw out to make sure people are being thoughtful about is like how you're gonna enter is super important or how you're gonna extract value for me Back to even the interview we just did, like I'm not gonna make pretend I play COD. I'm not gonna, like this is just all about transparency. Like I think however you're thinking about tapping in, just tap in real as you humanly can, whether at a corporate or an entrepreneurial level. Uh, that, that has been wildly obvious to me over the last 20 years of tapping into underpriced golden opportunities. Unlike real estate, which is I think the comp to jumping into things early, um, where they're, where you buy the property, it's your property. When you're tapping into esports from an entrepreneurial or executive level, there is a level of respect, a level of native, a level of transparency that you need to walk into it. And I think when you're a big corporate brand, you need to be very thoughtful about that because that's a tricky game. That and then and then when you're a entrepreneur, it's really interesting. I would argue through the last two decades of my career, I've seen entrepreneurs often be less authentic than brands. You know, all of us think like brands are not authentic. Entrepreneurs front, they, they fake it till they make it. And, and I, whether it's crypto or cannabis or esports or social, over the last half decade, there's, there's a lot of people walking around saying they're esports experts and they know nothing just like in the other categories that I just mentioned. So again, for the room, the fact that you're in this room on this day makes me think like you have a leg up. You're gonna be right. This is gonna happen, because it's happened. Now the question becomes how do you extract value because that's what you should be doing for yourself, your organization. And I think um, full transparency is a very important part. It's kinda, you know, it was fun to talk about old forums. Forums taught me a ton about social. I think one of the reasons I was very good at social very quickly was because forums were enormously important in the early 2000s for building my wine business. And in 1996, I was definitely the kid that would go on Wine Spectator's forum way back when, 1996, and would make up a name like Paul Thompson and be like, yeah, Wine Library is a great store. You know? <laughs> like. <laughs> And very quickly, probably by 1998, I'm like, that's not the right strategy. Um, and, and whether it was the hardcore Jets forums, like Jets Insider, or the E. Robert Parker, or you know, Wine Berserker forums that I was a part of, by having vested interest, I really had to be disproportionately transparent and things of that nature. And that was great practice by the time Twitter and other things came along. Plus, one thing I was probably right about was how this was all gonna play out and how there was no hiding and it's all being documented and perpetuity. So you better be thoughtful of every word that comes out of your mouth. No guessing for the hope because that would be recalled. So that's some stuff I would think is very top of mind. I'd love to open it up to very, like, listen, we're here. So very specific, whether it's 101 questions or very specific or selfish to your business, I'd love to answer anything I can help you with. Sure. Are we, we gonna run a mic? Cool, give me one second because I wanna make sure everybody hears your question. Thank you. Um, one question I've And your name. Uh, my name is Eric Alexander. Um, one question I've had is, how are you going to deal with new iterations of the game? Because I know, um, you know, it's, it's Modern Warfare this year. Yeah. Will it be Modern Warfare? I don't know because that's where the publisher has disproportionate leverage 
I think this sport is absolutely gonna have a different dynamic where you make a team based on the game and if the publisher changes the game enough in 24 months, you might not have the right talent to extract the upside. So I would argue, this is actually one of the things that excites me the most. My belief is that, and not that I get to be the GM or the coach, but you know, in, being in ownership, just having the DNA of being most comfortable with changing every day, let alone every year, like I feel like that's exciting. Now, if we win back-to-back championships and then they change it and we're still locked in in contracts with the guys or gals that got us there, I may not be as pumped, um, but I come in eyes wide open. I know that that's the variable. And, um, and by the way, like all games evolve. The NBA today, I'm a diehard Knicks fan and the last time they were good in the 90s, the scores of an NBA game we're 86 to 79. Now Harden's taking 90 shots a game. So things evolved anyway. Um, this one maybe a little bit more. It's not like the core rules, you know? My, my intuition is if, but more likely when this becomes legit, that the publisher will be thoughtful to not make it so hardcore that teams get broke, you know? So I'm open for business. I know what we signed up for. Thank you. Yep. How are you, sir? Good. Um, Jeff Tyler. Jeff. Um, so you grew up a Knicks fan. I did. You watched basketball off the outside. You became a fan of the Knicks. For eSports players, I mean, they may play the game, become a fan, maybe to learn more or to understand the game better or, or they understand what they're watching. How does the outside fan become a fan of eSports? And will sports betting find its way into eSports? Number two, yes. Betting yep. finds its way everywhere. Um, why don't you keep it, Jeff, just in case there's a little jamming here. The 1982 NBA Finals were on tape delay in America. Yep. Not live. That's how little interest. Cable, right, as you know, you know, changed so many things, the interest in different things. Everything is based on the ability to consume it, right? So when you think about the NFL not being able to sell out Super Bowl one. Football itself not being a great sport on radio versus what it was on television. All of this has ever been is one big game of media consumption to build awareness, to build interest. The reason esports is what I'm claiming it is, is predicated on the world where actual consumption is and will continue to grow in is native to esports more than it's native to the other sports. So it, again, and this is what's so powerful, there are so many people that consume esports that are native to the consumption platforms of Twitch and Mixer and YouTube, right? Yep. You might not get the 64-year-old TV watcher because occasionally something may show up on ESPN or ABC, but you completely own everybody under the age of 25. It is easier for 13-year-old Charlie today in school to consume esports than the NHL or the NBA. The end. Uh, I'll give you a great comp. The reason boxing is no longer, you know where I'm going, because yeah. you're old enough to live through the whole cycle, and I am as well. Thanks for that. But, but, <laughs> and, but, I, but, I, but I throw myself in the same mix, right? Is, and you had, you know, given probably whatever our age gap is, you, have it, you had it even better than me. I became a boxing fan because I saw Michael Tyson fights, Michael Tyson fights, 
on ABC Wild World Sports and ESPN before he beat Trevor Burbick to become the youngest heavyweight champ because he was brutal and wild and it was something because I could see it. He, through his insane popularity, and, and for the youngsters in here, you can't imagine what Mike Tyson's popularity was in 1987. Like, it was uncomfortable. Um, with, his, with him and the heavyweight division going where it went, as you know, and the money came in, it all went pay-per-view, which meant guys and gals like you and I couldn't watch it on Saturday at morning. No more Ray Bam, Boom Boom Mancini and Sugar Ray Let The real fights were on on Saturday morning, right? That was awareness for free. It went pay. This was my point about Major League Baseball. Baseball destroyed itself a decade ago by creating BAM, owning all digital rights and not letting any of the kids see anything. If one of us put up a video of Maurer hitting a home run here, they took it down. So um, that's why, got it? Because this has been written. It's funny, I was an atrocious student, but there was one class besides gym that I got good grades in, it was history, and, in, and it, I never really fully got it. And only in the last two or three years have I had an epiphany, I'm like, huh, I make so many of my business decisions as an entrepreneur completely predicated on history. And because and, history will tell you the future, this is always, if you look at it, and this, I've done this, so you'll appreciate this, if you look at horse racing and boxing and then football and basketball and baseball, this has been one big game of what's available to be seen and what fits the medium the best. And eSports fits the next medium the best. Good answer. Yeah, that was super smart, D-Rock. Let's, let's chop that up. <laughs> let's get that on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, my name's Tyler Othen. I'm hey, Brian, actually from a market research firm, doing, awesome. doing pretty good. Nice um, to meet you. We're working with communities that are trying to build in-person venues. So they're kind of the early adopters of maybe building facilities that are dedicated for esports. Yes. Um, it's not so much a challenge, it's just where things are right now. Um, you know, viewership is, is off the charts for esports yes. versus NFL. It's, yes. it's more people worldwide watch them. That's right. That ratio, though, of people who've attended an event, you yes. know, is... 0.0001% of people who've seen it online versus maybe 40% of people who watch the NFL maybe have been to a game. That's probably high, but... Um, it's, it's absolutely the point, given yeah. the nature of both of the lineages, the histories, yeah. and the technology stacks that they were built on. Makes sense. Keep going. Where do you see the opportunity for live events and drawing high. audiences that high. are 40 plus thousand? Hi, I, mm. I think it's a foregone conclusion. Um, and I'll tell you why. When you look at some of the... It's nowhere at scale to your point yet, but if you look at some of the indicators, those early things, you know, Madison Square Garden's fastest sellout event, right? It's there, it's there, and obviously, one thing that Americans do very poorly is look outside of America. South Korea can show you this at scale. So, it just needs more broad interest. The education of the parents is going to be enormous. You know, like, as we continue to see videos like we just saw, a lot of parents are gonna realize if I wanna connect with my kids, this, I need to take them to this instead of that concert or what my favorite sport is. That will happen. And the leagues themselves have to get their act together. Like, we haven't had organized leagues. We've had one-off events, we've had micro events. But this, this again, UFC is a great comp for this. It was very the way it was, and then it got consolidated, proper media attention, proper story building, a couple of superstars, and away you go. The fact that we have Bugga and Ninja already this early on speaks to where all the pieces are there. So I just think this is just a matter of time game. 
I know you don't make predictions, but I mean, if you had to guess the timeline, you know, is there a chance The Rocker ever plays in U.S. Bank Stadium in 20 years or? In 20 years, 100%. In five, that's where it gets challenging. But all you need is, what's amazing about something that's already happened is you just need one event. Snapchat, because we've all lived through this in the last half decade. Snapchat happened already, but it took DJ Khaled getting stuck in the ocean on his jet ski to get everybody to know Snapchat happened. (laughs) This league has happened already. It might be one clip of one interaction between Minnesota and Chicago where the intensity went and two of the players got mad at each other and punched each other in the face that hits the social consciousness which then shows it. And that's, where, and that's why I don't know. I know it's done. I know I'm invested long. I don't know the spark. It was Ashton Kutcher challenging CNN to get to a million first that made everybody know what Twitter was even though it already happened. Khaled on Snap. I don't know what's gonna happen for this league. I just know what's gonna happen. I think all of us here at some level know Bugga winning $3 million in one tournament helped a lot of people that didn't know know real quick because that made AP national news. Something's gonna happen. Michael Strahan's gonna talk about it on Good Morning America and then the process will start. That's America. Thank you. Hey, uh, Tom Ferrara. Hey, Tom. Uh, so my question is related to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is one of the roadblocks is media dollars. Yes. So we're seeing a lot of participation in esports. You know, up to maybe even 80% is sponsorship and partnership dollars. I think that makes sense for a lot of reasons. It sits really close to what you would do with like a traditional sports team deal. There's yes. a lot of reasons why you'd want access to this audience now. But as soon as that turns into, and this is something I face personally, conversations with media departments, they tend to not be in the know on this stuff and they want to apply very traditional media metrics to valuing how they're going to buy or promote um, content or exposure or activations in the esports space. And that's become a huge roadblock. Yes. What are your approaches or advice or recommendations for trying to get that? Fortune 1000 companies need to fire their media agencies of record. Listen, think about what you're just saying. You're 100% right. And the reason they do that is they make much more money in buying traditional other things or, pro, you know, media agencies love their black boxes of programmatic because they're making tons of mar- Like, this is the business I'm actually in, full time. It's a very easy answer. It's the same thing that happened with social. It's why so many brands are declining in market share. The vested interest of the six holding companies, media departments, and their clients are completely in opposite directions. of the media spent in America is being spent through a media agency that is a publicly traded company that is trying to maximize its own margin every 90 days. How in the world can that be a good service provider? So what's gonna happen? One of two things. One, we will continue to see direct-to-consumer brands that don't follow the same playbook continue to tap into market share until the point of the Kellogg's and the Unilever's and the PepsiCo's get so hurt that they'll finally wake up and change their positioning on how they work with agency partners. So really it's a first mover advantage to anyone who can find a way Always. outside of that traditional of media course. model? that's right. Okay. Or you scare your current agency. Like what real life is you have enough juice to go to your current agency, Starcom, MediaShare, all those players, and say, if you don't do this, we will put up your business for review, because this is strategically where I want to be. 
because I have never seen in the history of my business life, and I'm an entrepreneur and around, and I've been, a, I, I'm fast, so I've done a lot in 22 years. I've never seen a dynamic where the client feels like the not client in the relationship between brands and their media agencies because of the contracts that they sign that are being done at the highest levels, and, uh, and it's destroying the Fortune 5000 brands. Thank you. Yep. Hey Gary, my name is Max Minsker. I run the uh, esports team for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So my question for you is based on kind of your investment philosophy in terms of esports specifically. So you've said that esports is, it's kind of over already, right? Like it's happened. And like, if you look at the viewership and the average age of the audience, and then some of the, even the metrics he was showing regarding how to capture that audience, Esports obviously has a big market. Yes. And but for you, when you're investing in something like the Rocker, it's not like a perfectly diversified ETF of an esports portfolio, right? It's a specific investment in a specific property. Which so, is highly vulnerable. Exactly. So my question for you is how do you take that knowledge of the industry and the macro trends that are occurring and where the audience is and translate that into like a micro investment into one specific property that might have more vulnerability? And then I think you don't. I think you need to amortize out your bets, right? Like, to your point, the vulnerability of this investment, which was a hefty one for me, is nobody wants to play Call of Duty anymore. Well, I don't know. Like, there was Frogger was awesome when I was a kid. <laughs> like, meanwhile, basketball hasn't gone away. On the flip side, we are now in the early stages of games like Madden and 2K and others that are like, wow, it's still here and it's really here. And Mario and Zelda. And so, this is a. This is a complete bet. Back to the biggest point I made, you know, Cargo and the Wilfs, like this is a human thing for me as well. That's why I took both. I actually, publicly, I'm sure we can find video of it, did not want to invest in publishing IP team sport. Like I just thought it was too vulnerable to, you know, it's Ultima Online was a precursor to all this. Like I've watched, I've been watching. This was a move for a lot of reasons. To me this is, a franchise that I feel had, first of all, this is a limited franchise. This is a global sport, but first party shooter Call of Duty is much more Americanized than it is Asia, other things. So again, very eyes wide open going into it. For me, diversifying comes in a lot of ways. You know, Vayner Sports is very focused. From day, the day AJ and I started Vayner Sports, which I own a NFL sports representation business, we rep 30 football players, but from day one, eSports, is the lead second sport we want to get into. Um, when I started making this deal, I had to figure out like wh which side am I sitting on, what can I do, do I have to rep people outside? You know, so I'm going through all that, but that's huge. Two, look, VaynerMedia as a creative and media agency is a thought leader in strategy around this you know, category. So as you can imagine, me looking forward, the way I'm gonna hedge is I'm probably gonna have an agency that's making 30 to 50 million in in consulting strategy and creative output fee for helping brands get into this space better. Uh, I might bring back ice hockey on Nintendo and be the best player, make five million a year playing it. Um, I may invest in, in whatever emerges as the Chuck E. Cheese or Buffalo Wild Wings of this space. Like, to me, this is how I do it. If you look at all my behavior, it's why I built Vayner. I built a communications death star which gives me flexibility to go into anything. So 10 years ago when I could have raised a half a billion dollars on the back of Facebook and Twitter and all those great investments that I made that put me on the map, instead of going the real easy route of high 
wealth creation of raise a half a billion, make 10 million a year to take meetings and have 20% of the upside of the bets off a great track record, I decided to build an agency, which is a grind, super hard, but I knew I was building the comms stack to take advantage of the diversification of macro thesis. So does that affect how 100%. you think about the revenue yes. of this property on a year to year basis? Because you think, can diversify? Yeah, I, I don't think about the revenue of this business on a year to year basis at all. Just make payroll. Don't go out of business. That When you bet long and in perpetuity, we live through a time now where everyone's building businesses to sell them. I only build businesses to die with them. When you do that, all you have to do is just stay alive when you're betting on what you know is right. Good, uh, Andre Bortnov uh, with Obsidian Group. Hi, Gary. Uh, nice, to meet you, uh, nice to meet you too. Uh, first time. Thank you. Uh, quick question first for time you. First time seeing you. Seeing me? you. Uh, consume your content. Understood. Um, kind of maybe this is maybe more of a macro question, but in terms of marketing strategy and consumer attention, yes. What would be the difference, or is there a difference between esports and traditional sports? On what platforms do you think esports would dominate? Um, Thanks. No question. Uh, hold on to the mic just in case. So. There's a lot of differences. First of all, I believe that esports, even with the macro league deals or title deals or team deals, is grossly underpriced in comparison to the price you pay in traditional sports because they're a mature asset. And what they want in return for step and repeats and patches and integrations is so much more expensive. Even though these numbers are not small anymore because the audience is there, but still, paying for an NHL integration and you're trying to reach 15 to 30 year old males, you're gonna get ripped off in the NHL in comparison to eSports just on the sheer attention. As far as platforms, to your point, and this was to the gentleman behind you that I'm looking at, this sports ability to be 100% native to Twitch and YouTube and Instagram and things of that nature is a huge advantage. I mean, when you look, I mean, the NHL watched baseball do the wrong thing, was losing relevance, and then signed a deal with BAM. I mean, there's not a person, you know, we're in Minnesota, and I think the majority of this room would struggle to name 10 hardcore all-stars outside of wild players. Like, it's, it's, it's a mistake. Anyway, nonetheless, I think, that, um, I think that, look at the NBA. The NBA takes far more of a superstar build brand. We know more sixth men on NBA teams than we know all-stars in the NHL and Major League Baseball. So I, I think that, one, I think it's underpriced. I think if you, you call Rocker and you call The Wild and you try, and your focus is a certain demo. Now, if your focus is $200,000 income, 52 to 75 male, middle America, then all of a sudden I wanna talk hockey. So it depends on your strategy, but the reality is some things are just grossly underpriced. And I think for the next half decade, there'll be a lot of arbitrage opportunities for association with what happens in this sector, whether in this league, the platforms, the individual humans. You know, I talked to Tyler, I talked to Ninja in his first deals. He gets paid a lot more now than he did then. You were stealing Ninja's equity in those first 25 deals. Then he got William Morris, then he became Ninja the way we know him, and all of a sudden, what you used to be able to get for free product or $10,000 becomes $250,000 for five minutes. The game. 
Thanks. Yep. Hey, what's up, Gary? Thanks, man. My name is Josh. Josh. Uh, three questions, real quick. Uh, first is, what happens when you own the Jets and you're now frenemies with the Wilf family? What does I'm that look, look like? I'm going to try to beat their faces in. <laughs> Much like the Wilfs grew up insane over-the-top Giant fans, and I'm sure when they face the Giants, they're not rooting for the Giants. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. Doubt it. Uh, second question, who's the most interesting person you've ever met? That's interesting. Uh, I would say the most interesting meeting I ever had was with Mark Zuckerberg when I spoke to Facebook when they had 200 employees. I didn't know him. Obviously, Facebook was starting to roll. I spoke to the company. I didn't know he was in there. He was way in the back. He came down. He asked me. I had a flight right after the talk, and he goes, uh, how long are you in, in uh, Palo Alto? And I was smart enough to be like, oh, I'm leaving tomorrow. And he's like, you want to have dinner? I said, yes. And I'll never forget this. Obviously, Facebook was already huge, even though they were a small amount of employees. We had dinner, and I remember thinking, I believe that I am a one-dimensional player. I believe that I understand human beings so well that every other aspect of what I do, I'm average at, but I'm so remarkable at consumer behavior and being, and when I say, by the way, when I deliver something like I'm so remarkable, complete luck of the draw of mom and dad having sex at the right moment. Complete natural luck of DNA. Complete, I take no pride in it. I love giving the daps to my parents. I love giving the daps to my circumstance. But, and, and I'd never met somebody in my life up until that point that I thought was deeply and utterly consumer, blindly, human-centric. I am an extrovert and an outward personality, so one could kind of make an assumption to that. He is a technologist and introverted, and, and even I'm sure when you've seen him on Capitol Hill or other places, that would stun you that that is his great, to this day, not President Barack Obama, not. Bill Clinton, not many other people that you know. I've never sat across from somebody that I felt Jedi, like, oh, wait a minute, you know too. And it makes sense, that's why I built Facebook. That's awesome, and a perfect segue to this last question. What's the most badass Jedi book you've ever read? Read? Read, yeah. So I've read like four books in my life, um, and I would have to say the, uh, the biography of Barbara Walters. I actually believe that Barbara Walters may be one of the most underrated contemporary personalities of the last 50 years. I know you didn't see that one coming. <laughs> hey Gary. How are you? Nikolai, good to see you again. Very excited to have you on Coffee and Closers next year. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so here's my question. You know, you were talking about being ahead of the curve and where this is, is headed. I think we've all been convinced this is a very exciting time to see where this goes. Are there any, for the average investor, are there any uh, products or companies right now that you could list off that we should be paying attention to or investing in now? The answer is I'm sure. I haven't done the homework, so the answer is I don't know. But I do think this is a, I will give you an answer that maybe helps you bring some answers, uh, some insight that might help you. Always look at the picks and the shovels. I'm very vulnerable with this hefty seven-figure investment because if this title isn't contemporary in 15 years, I'm vulnerable. Picks and shovels. Got it? So it, whether it's private, public market, or something else, pay attention to people that are building infrastructure around this movement. Evergreen, not at the mercy of Twitch or... You like that? Thank you, thank you. 
and I appreciate that, and it's a really important insight. You know, a lot of us will gamble, or I don't feel this is a gamble. What I'm gonna learn over the next three years is gonna do more for me than the investment, whether this exists or not. The people that I'm gonna be associated with, the learnings, practicing to be an owner, you know, all that stuff. But for, you know, I, it was only five minutes ago that a $25,000 check was very scary for me to bet and with what and what I tried to do was bet on what I knew or what had already happened or picks and shovels, right? Look at search engines and browsers, infrastructure, right? So what's the infrastructure? What, what doesn't rely on it being Fortnite or Call of Duty or Activision as a business that can just flow if in four years it is Frogger or there's two girls in Nashville right now inventing an IP that becomes the game for 10 years. How does that company take advantage of that versus get hurt by it? In perpetuity, evergreen, picks and shovels. Hey Gary. Josh Feedy. Josh. I got a fun one for you. Please. Um, all I've really come away from right now is I feel like a bad father because I've been kicking my son off of his video game system for the yep. last four years. Yeah. I may have destroyed his future. I agree. Um, Likely. And I'm terrified about the people sitting behind me that are probably about to throw things at me because yep. they now know that about yes. me. Help me. I, I'm a business owner, yep. right? I want to make sure I make smart decisions in my business life. Let's consider this his business life. What game should I be pushing him to play right now so that in five years, he's a billionaire. I, I, how old is he? He's 11. Okay, so 16-year-old billionaire. Um, <laughs> we can make so, this happen together. So let me say this. Let me say this. The answer is I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people here who are deep enough in all of gaming and, and casual gaming. I think all of us can agree, if you think of Minecraft from an engineering standpoint or other things, if you're really objective, there are incredible amounts of game that's out there that speak to honing your math skills, your engineering skills, your intuitive skills. There's so much value from it. I would tell every, I would level this conversation up. There's a lot of parents in here, grandparents, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers. We demonize technology in a world where our children will only live in a more technology-centric world. The thought that you put writing a letter on a pedestal today, but, but being on your iPad for an extra half an hour as a negative, parents and humans are inherently in the business of no, yesterday, fear. I, I have two children, 10 and seven. I am uncomfortably comfortable with them being in and on technology every second of their life. Now, they won't, because that's not how the world works today. Uh, but it has been fascinating for me to watch the current state of parenting, A, demonize technology, but then use it to shut their kids up when they are drinking wine or hanging out with their friends. I hate my, I mean, I've literally, I've, this has actually happened in my life. Because of who I am, and you go with the parents from the school, they will like yell at me about social media or technology, but then we're like hitting it off because it's like the second time the, the group is getting together and their kid comes and they throw the iPad at them like it's a, like it's a ninja star and like, and say go over there and like it's, the parenting hypocrisy in 2020 is laughable at best and more importantly, much like the parents that did actually ruin so many kids over the last 20 years chance to make 10 million a year being a gamer who are now $137,000 a year lawyers and unhappy um, or 
even, or even not 137, there's, there's some person right now who was supposed to be Tony Hawk, who was supposed to be Kelly Slater, AKA Ninja before Ninja, the great pioneer of esports. She or he is probably 38 to 45, because that would have been the time, but she was told she has to go to college. He has to, like, it happens every day, um, and uh, I, I couldn't be more counter to the current political correctness of parenting with technology. I beg for you to debate the world you think your children will be living in 25 years. I remind you that over the last every day that humans have been alive, we have underestimated humans' ability and the brain's ability to adjust to the reality of the world. Please go read the articles written in newspapers about the kaleidoscope, I'm being serious, and how the kaleidoscope was gonna ruin the human race because children were running around Europe putting their eye in a kaleidoscope and weren't paying attention to the real world. We demonize Instagram feeds. Parents who laid in bed as teenagers and went through Vogue and Seventeen magazine and were on three-way chat with their girlfriends for seven hours a day, <laughs> demonized children going through Instagram, laying up, it's fascinating and it's what has led to a lot of unhappiness in our society and, and I hope that me conversating about it, you know, one of the great things of amassing awareness is it allows you to talk about things that you truly believe in that may spark conversation we are such lazy parents today. Technology bad. How about let's actually build self-esteem in our kids, which then will allow them to deal with everything. How about that conversation? Oh, but no, it's not fun to be accountable. It's much more fun to blame the Russians and Facebook. That's what I think. Good. We've got a question back here in the back. Hi, Gary, Mady here. Hey. Uh, quick question. What was a driving factor that had you to invest, um, that had you investing in Call of Duty as opposed to um, maybe esports that are larger on the global scale like League of Legends or Dota 2? Um, the relationship with the Wilfs, uh, the opportunity that was in front of me. Uh, I didn't, I, I had opportunities with Overwatch, I didn't want to go there. Um, my own personal intuition of League of Legends versus Call of Duty, me being comfortable with starting, I. Back to my miraculous capabilities of understanding humans, I'm at my prime with America. I'm getting really strong in Asia and the UK and other places, but I'm an 11 in America. I'm a 7.9 in other parts of the world, so that gave me triple confidence. Um, the culture, you know, when I think, when I looked at who are the 18-year-old basketball players, who are the 17-year-old rappers, who are the 13-year-old TikTokers, of today that I believed subjectively on intuition would be here in a decade and what's the relationship with video games? Call of Duty is way up there. So that feels like cultural relevance for a decade versus not. That's the answer. Thank you. You're welcome. I think what's fun about talks like this is for a lot of you, the way my content is distributed is it's me cursing heavily on LinkedIn or in a, in a 30 second Instagram where I'm contextual to that platform. But I think, you know, at least for me, and I, I appreciate the tone and tenor of this audience, like, I'm not guessing out here. There's a lot more thinking going on here than I like to play on 
the internet. And I think for all of you, I, I, you know, I'm starting to amass enough wins on the board that me saying that is not required anymore for more people, thoughtful people, winning people to be paying attention closer. I'm definitely not here for my health. This is not for kicks and giggles. I believe this is sports and music are the easiest bets for the rest of your life. And, and watching the evolution of both, I would be this passionate if we were talking about Latin trap. If I was right now talking about Bad Bunny and Becky G and Nicky Jam, I would be equally as fired up because I believe they are grossly underpriced and, and Latin culture in the US, especially within music, is at scale. These people have, the people I just rattled off have more followers than your favorite artists. You just don't know it yet. And that to me is the game that will allow me to buy the Jets and win a Super Bowl. I have a question for you. Please. So, uh, Joe McIntosh, and um, first of all, Nintendo Ice Hockey, three fat guys, one skinny, I don't think Let's you go. could touch me. Let's go. I don't think you could touch Bro, me. Bro, if you find yourself in New York, no <laughs> kidding, it's Gary at VaynerMedia. Let's go. Um, the, the other question I had Please. is, the, the other question I had is. Um, By the way, to give him daps, the three fat, one skinny is my lineup too. Uh-huh, I told so you. I, I'd I told be lying you. if I didn't say this guy knows a little something. By the way, for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, the, the way the game starts is you get to like pick your team. You pick your team, it, it's, it's Olympic style. I'm always Russia, because I was born in the Soviet Union. And, uh, and then you get a skinny, a fat, or a medium guy, and there are four spots, and you kind of and put it together. The hack is three fat guys and a skinny, so I'm a little bit worried about Joe. <laughs> Makes sense, Minnesota hockey culture. All right, brother, I go. see you. So, so my question is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you talk and I feel like, man, anything this guy touches seems like it would turn to gold, right? It's just like you have this energy, you have this passion, and I'm thinking about, you know, myself and my world, you know, how can I bring that same energy, same passion, you know, say I sell widgets, right? And I sell widgets to 65-year-old men, Yeah. right? It's like they're clueless about you know, the, to what's going on in reality, it, you know, the 26-year-old and below, I'm just like, you know, how, and, how and, would you approach they, that? Well, a couple things to talk about with this. One, they may not have to worry about it, right? So for example, you've met, heard me mention TikTok a couple times. The, the other platform in the world of marketing today that I'm obsessed with is LinkedIn. LinkedIn's organic reach is so uncomfortably high. It's Facebook 2012. And as you can imagine, and I see the body language here, you're clearly gonna reach different people on LinkedIn than you are on TikTok. And that 65-year-old male decision maker, I don't know when he or she is buying that widget, are they actually targeting 15 to 35, right? So to me, it's funny, it's like, so I'm very fortunate in the fact that my passion is agnostic. All I do is day trade attention and behavior, and it's a very important sentence, it's day trading. So I'm not, guys, how many people here follow me pretty closely on social, just for context? So thank you. So you noticed over the last year how I've done a lot of recall videos on Instagram where I show you me saying something in 2008 and showing it again. Like, that's back to not guessing. Like, you get the equity of reputation. I'm not just jumping on now. I was right, but it wasn't predicting. It was because those things had already happened. The thing I'm most waiting for is 15 years from now when I'm completely shitting on social media. The way I would talk about print and direct mail, right? 
Because I'm not pot committed to anything. I'm just pot committed to the ability to daily, daily. I wrote my last book, which is how to win on social, content, distribute, right now, it's only 18 months old, not a mention of LinkedIn or TikTok. Having that, you know, so, you know, for a couple things. One, are you, it has to start with the truth. Are you actually passionate of selling widgets in a B2B environment? To bring, like, I failed all my classes. If you told me right now to hang a picture on the wall, I would like jump out the window. No passion. Don't want to do that stuff. Take out the trash, no. Read, no, right? Back to the book. It starts with self-awareness. The greatest gift I was given was conviction and self-awareness. I know what I'm good at, I know what I'm bad at. My parents built self, my mom built self-esteem so I was able to deal with judgment. I was a terrible student during the greatest era of it needing to be good at school to be successful. I was making $6,000 a weekend as a 14 year old and told every day by my friends, parents, and my teachers that I was a loser. If I was making $6,000 a weekend today selling sports cards, I'd be on like cover of magazines. Like, like now we herald 14 year olds making money. That's the culture now. Entrepreneurship got cool again. You know, so to answer your question, many things. One, do they even need to care about these things? Because there's no reason, you know, if you're an executive or you're wrapping up your career or whatever, you, it has to be practical. I'm practical. Um, Number two, you have to look within yourself. How old are you? 43. So for me, you and I are part of a really interesting generation because we're, I'm four, I just turned 44. Um, now I know the skinny and fats, I get it. You looked younger, you look good, bro. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the big, one of the biggest things I'm hoping that I can communicate to the world through this newfound attention is our unbelievable ability, inability, excuse me, to have a good relationship with time. Every 22 year old wants it to happen tomorrow and every 43 year old doesn't think that they can take a hard left and completely start over because they don't realize they're gonna live for another 52 years. Our complete and utter atrocious relationship with time is leading to an enormous amount of unhappiness and so like I see you and even just like the energy and how you ask the question, like I, I was compelled, I'm like, bro, you might just need to really look at yourself in the mirror tonight and say, one step backwards, three steps forward. Happiness has to be the ROI, you know? And I think if you really, if you could feel in your bones another 29 years of a professional career, all of a sudden when you look at it that way versus I'm 43 and look at all these kids doing it at 19, if you look at it as 29 more years before I even debate slowing down, then all of a sudden it sounds practical to maybe say, I don't want to fucking sell widgets anymore. So that's the stuff that goes through my mind. Thank you. Yep. You can imagine you under 30 year olds and hear what I think for you. Like so much time, so much time. Gary, uh, Sam Swartz from uh, Duke Cannon. Hey Sam. Soap guy. Yeah, good to see you. Um, yeah. Thank, I you, got a thank you for the swag. Oh, I hope you like it. Um, if you don't, don't tweet about it. I won't. Um, 101 question, I'm going to ask We're you the so lens better. of uh, baseball history, which I hope you appreciate. So as you know, in the early days of baseball, there wasn't an MLB, a bunch of independent That's right. professional leagues. That's and right. So I wonder about, is there a parallel here whereby, yes. it is, will there be a bunch of leagues yes. competing for yes. players and resources? Baseball, hockey, football, sure. of course, history. Yes, 
will there be other, will a well-heeled investor come in and start their own Call of Duty yes. league? Okay. So how do, we, how do we place the right bet then? Be consumer-centric. The USFL would still be operating if they stayed in the spring. That's what's great about the game. It's just merit. Wine.com raised $240 million when I launched winelibrary.com with $30,000 in marketing. I won. Money's not scary. Being delusional is. You like that one? It's a good one. It was a little gangster, I like that. Clip that, D-Rock. It's true though. Like how many examples do you want of something super well-funded not defeating the thing that was consumer-centric? Like, I'm not a genius, there's 47,000 examples. Google it. It happens every day of the week. Because a lot of times, you know, I think I've been, the worst points of my career is when I've had money in the pocket. I'm at my best when I don't have it. Hi. All right, Leah. Um, Leah. Leah Fuller, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, so from my perspective, you know, looking at the history of how sports in general has, been, has worked and how it's ingrained in education and how it, it, it really yes. starts in education. Yes. Thinking about eSports, when it comes to standing up some kind of structure, just like we've given to, or you've given to the Rockers, bringing that to K-12 and higher education, what's we your we don't view need of where that, where that starts? Like, it starts earlier than the others. So if you Three were Three-year-olds. Yeah. Are playing versions of esports right this second. Mm -hmm. So, if you were to give structure to K 12 education and, and higher education as far as teams and. By the and way, to, your, po to way. your point, that will yeah. happen. Like, how many, uh, it, clearly, even the way you're asking the question, mm -hmm. you know how many scholarships are at the NCAA level. Mm -hmm. What do you think happens next? Mm -hmm. The high school, you know what I mean? Right. That's already happened. The more insightful thing you said is how it happens mm -hmm. and who gets who first and what I actually just said. My son goes to school for seven minutes in his little drive with me every day and plays Madden Mobile as a seven-year-old in those seven minutes. Mm -hmm. Really hard to practice your jump shot on your seven-minute drive to school. Mm -hmm. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson both famously woke up super early before school to work on their game. My son and hundreds of millions of others will work on their game in school, in between school, getting the hall pass to go to the bathroom to continue the game, and everything in between. This is going to be the sport. Mm -hmm. Hi Gary, Darren Glover. Um, Darren. Can you speak on the importance of like the mainstream culture influencers? It's fascinating to hear all the analogies that always pop up between where the sports was and then how sports became something crazy important. But all these relevant sports figures now that have grown up with social media and have two million followers that play Call of Duty or Fortnite just as much as maybe some of the pro esports gamers. I now, see. You, now mean, have, you, now mean, have, you mean the Jujus or like, like the other sports stars playing these games? Basically, as, okay. as you spoke about, you, I mean, you talk about it all the time. It's relevancy, it's, it's culture, it's Bad Bunny. If Bad Bunny plays, plays Fortnite, that how important is that to Fortnite? It already happened. Exactly. The Fortnite event was Ninja right. and Drake. It happened. This is what I keep telling everybody. 
this has happened. You might not have decided to look at it. You might have not looked at it from the proper lens, but that's what made Fortnite substantially grow. I know you know that based on your question, and (laughs) that's what's gonna, like I said, I do not know the event that will make the Call of Duty League go to the next sphere. It will be something. What, what, what are your thoughts on ideas and strategies to get the mainstream celebrity pop culture influencer into Call of Duty League to grow the awareness of it? Zero. It's already happening. We don't need to do it. They play it and love it. It's, hap- it's just, just a moment away. If Charlie from TikTok, who's gone from zero to 7.5 million followers in TikTok in a month, you know, boyfriend next year is a Call of Duty player, that's way better than paying LeBron a million to say he's watching the match. This has been written. Written. <laughs> Listen, this is why people think I predict things, but I keep trying to tell you I'm not. I, I really, I, I, I appreciate it, but it's not deserved. I'm, I'm regurgitating what's actually happened. I'm not fucking Nostradamus. I'm regurgitating what's happened. I just happen to know where to look. I might just be willing to spend the 25 hours, you know, to a month looking at the top charts of the app store to realize that Yik Yak was something six years ago but then disappeared. Or that Vine did this or Social Cam did that or Peach was supposed to be this, or Vero was supposed to be that, or Musical.ly did do this and became TikTok, or Path did this. I'm putting in the work. Just like I'm watching YouTube videos of sophomores in high school right now to figure out which college players are gonna matter for Vayner Sports. It's just work. It's just work. People don't take work and put it into the right places and they use media outlets to give them headlines to form their opinions. That's the difference between what I do and what most people do. I'm actually in the trenches being an anthropologist, strategist, and actually doing the work versus what most people do, which is they allow something in the middle to consolidate the information for them and allow them the bullet points and the headlines. And in that practitionership is the delta that has allowed me the luxury and the honor of sitting up here and being listened to. The work. Okay, I have another question for you. Yes, sir. So, like you were just talking about in terms of doing the work, yes. um, and most people don't do the work the right way, within the concept of like doing the work the right way, whether you're planning a business or planning for your life, um, how do you view the distinction between like execution and strategy? Like, how much should you be planning for your work versus how much should you just be doing it? How do you view that? It's a great question. Um, For me, first of all, the answer is self-awareness. It really is, because for you and I, it might be different. But it's a very important question, right? Like, somebody once said something to me, he said, Gary, you know what I love about VaynerMedia? I'm like, what? And I was pumped, but it was actually a razz. He goes, if I told you to get to the other side of that wall, you would 100% get there. The problem with Vayner sometimes is you would, and we were in a glass office, he's like, you would run through the glass and get cut to get there when you could have just opened the door. He thought he was razzing me, I was pumped. I was like, cause I got him back, you know, it's fun chess, right? I'm like, brother, the reason you're paying me is cause you usually pay people who just sit in this room and debate going to the door. 
So I'm pro-doing much more than I hear. I believe a lot of my strategy comes from the A, B, C, D, E, F, G testing that gave me the answer more than, than me thinking I can come up with the answer. However, not having a good strategy is always a vulnerability too. But it's a vulnerability of wasted time that gives you context, like this investment earlier. I've already won by the bet. This could go out of business. The learnings over the next 36 months are ROI positive for the way I play. So I think you've gotta know yourself because other people are far, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not capable of sitting down and doing type A work. Other people's chemicals are type A, so for them, strategy might be the strength. They fear the doing because feedback and negative feedback is scary. The reason we have so much unhappiness in in the millennial demo is because the current parents that raised them. Parents, the, the most interesting dynamic I see in culture right now is 48 to 70 year olds judging millennials when they were the ones that parented them. They're the ones who created eighth place trophies. I didn't grow up with eighth place trophies. They're the ones who decided that you have to compliment at scale even though it's not true and thus your kids know it's delusion and they become insecure about everything because they don't know which one's true or not. So you have to know yourself um, and I think you have to lean into what comes natural whether it's the gray or the black and white. I only am uncomfortable, I'm only comfortable in no and question marks. Many need to do a ton of stuff before they can make that jump. If they try to be like me, they're gonna have anxiety in the same way that I would have anxiety to like put together a PDF. No, really, like if you asked me to make a deck right now, I would fold like a cheap chair. I'd be like, oh, D-Rock, you know, know, I'd be like, look over there and run away. Like, you know, like I just can't, I'm not capable of doing it, which is why I was such an extremely poor student. but luckily for me, at a very young age, I leaned into who I actually was and went pot committed and it worked. And I want more of that for everybody in here. And you don't have to do it my way, you have to do it your way. But, and that's why that's a, a very personal question. But those are the two ways. But I believe, I, I'm a big fan of doing. You can't read about push-ups. So, people love to use strategy as a disguise for non-action. That's a good quote. Thank you. D-Rock? Good way to end it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and, more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.